0: Wisconsin, a paranormal paradise, with lake monsters, dogmen, haunted hotels, famous ghosts, and deadly killers. It's a lot more than just America's Dairyland. It's time for a deep dive into the weird, wonderful, and terrifying that's lying just below the surface of reality. From American Ghost Walks and Badgerland Legends, this is the Wisconsin Legends Podcast.
1: Before we get started in today's episode, I wanna give you two notes. First, we get really dark in this episode. We discuss themes like child death in ritual child sacrifice. So if you're sensitive to those topics, you got young kids around, probably not the best episode for you. Second, after the episode, there's a special segment that you won't wanna miss. All right, let's get into the show.
0: Welcome to the Wisconsin Legends Podcast, this is Mike Huberty with American Ghost Walks, and I am joined by...
1: Jeff Finnup, Badgerland Legends.
0: And today we've got a really special guest for you from the Waukesha Ghost Walk. We've got Josh Hughes, our fantastic Waukesha guide.
2: Yes, thank you for the wonderful intro.
0: Josh, people here have already heard about how I got into the paranormal, how Jeff got interested in the beginning. How did you get interested in in the weirder side of the world
2: well it all really started from some experiences i had as a young kid at my home in waukesha and that really led me down a path of anything weird just trying to learn more discover what it is and that's led me now to my house where i live in waukesha
0: with my wife so you're a lifelong waukesha resident
2: minus the few years i spent oshkosh green bay new york basically most of it was in waukesha all right and now he's back now he's
0: back to let everybody know what kind of weird stuff happened in a town you just wouldn't quite expect it. Now, you have a unsolved cold case for us all the way from 100 years in the making. And this is something that, you know, when I grew up in the area, it was a story that I had never heard. I'm fascinated to hear what you've come up with and in your research, what you've discovered about this particular unsolved murder. Please let us know.
2: This is one of the stories that when I first started doing the ghost walks, when he first hired me, I was like, hey, Mike, did you hear about the little kid that died in the pond? And you're like, yeah, little Lord Fauntleroy. Of course I've heard of him, right? (laughs) I I thought I had like this golden nugget that I was presenting to you. But you're like, yeah, everybody knows about that. The thing is, not everybody has ever heard about this story. A lot of lifelong Waukesha residents are like, oh, my God. It started about 100 years ago on March 8th, 1921, when a a worker at the O'Laughlin Stone Company was just going to work for the morning, and he stumbles upon this dead body in the pond. So this would have been a
1: retention pond for the quarry.
2: Correct. The quarry at that time would not have been that deep. This was a retention pond nearby. And if you're familiar with Waukesha, if you live there now, if you go through there, it's the big quarry that's just beyond the airport. You really, you can't miss it. It's right there.
0: So it's still here today. It's still a place you can go and check out. Do they still dig up stones and stuff there? It's
2: still an active quarry. It's under a different name now, but I did reach out to them to see if I could get a tour, just kind of see where everything happened. And they haven't responded yet. Okay. So maybe when they hear the podcast, they'll let me inside the gates. All right, we hope. Basically, this worker finds this little body floating in the pond. He runs back to the company office, and that's when they phone the sheriff. So the sheriff comes down with the coroner, and they drove over to the quarry pond. When they were doing a little more digging in the area, they decided they had to call in the Milwaukee Police Department to conduct a wide search and to possibly identify who this little child was dead in the pond. Just for the uninitiated, how far is Waukesha from Milwaukee? So Waukesha today is probably a 20, 25 minute drive. Back then, you know, it could have been close to an hour. Cause... Right. So
0: before the interstates came in, because right now, if you're going on, you know, like I-94 or whatever, you can get from downtown Milwaukee to downtown Waukesha in about 20 minutes without traffic or right, anything.
2: Right. It's a good question, because back then, this is a, a big deal of, okay, we got to call the Milwaukee Police Department. That's probably going to be maybe an hour one way to get there. They call the police out they're trying to find any clues as to who this little dead boy is. Now they did make note of his physical features, which no longer seem to exist. As I reached out to the the Waukesha police department and the Waukesha sheriff's department, they basically quote unquote said, our record keeping was not that good back then. So I'm sorry, but we don't have anything from before 1944, which different time, right? It's 100 years, so right. can give him a, a little bit of a break there. <laughs> Which most of my stories take place before the 40s.
0: So we're not going to steal any evidence from the Walker <laughs> Show Evidence Locker, unfortunately.
2: Right, right. Uh, they did note that the boy was likely between the age of 5 and 7 years old, quite short, less than 4 feet tall. He had blonde hair and brown eyes. Now, the child didn't appear to be malnourished, and there was no physical marks of abuse on his body. But what did capture the police and... Thereafter, the nation's attention was his very strange attire. He was dressed in a blouse, a button-up shirt, a gray sweater from the, at the time, very expensive Bradley Knitting Company. Uh, He was wearing underwear, black stockings, and patent leather shoes. You can kind of paint the picture that this boy was very well-dressed. Maybe he was from
1: money or a very well-to-do family. A boy like this turns up. He's of means... Mm-hmm. It seems like he'd been prominent in a community of some sort, and somebody would come looking for him. Correct. You think that people are going to miss this kid,
2: right? It's not just some random bum off the street.
0: Well, right, and if it was just some kind of random murder or you know, they were trying to get rid of him, why bother with the nice clothing? You know, that that could be something you could resell. That could be, you know, I mean, maybe for the evidence or whatever. Right. But right. why bother dressing him so nicely if you're just going to kill him and throw him in the quarry where you hope that no one will ever see him? Right.
2: Already very suspicious, right? And the police knew that when they first found the boy. When the newspaper reporters got sight of the child, they read the police file. They dubbed this mystery dead boy Little Lord Faulkneroyd. And it's taken me years to be able to pronounce that name right. But Little Lord Faultneroy was named after this lavish character featured at the time in a hugely popular piece of sentimental fiction. The book was by Francis Hodgson Burnett. From what I've been told, the people that have read the book I guess kind of similar to Matilda, a little kid that gets into antics, right?
0: but then also the idea i think the, the things he was wearing comes from the story is that it's like an american boy that learns that he's got a, an english title right so then he goes over to the UK and the, it's like King Ralph with John Goodman. You guys remember that movie where he find that John Goodman is like an American slob and he finds out that actually uh, he's in line to the British throne. And goes over there and makes jokes about the food like Spotted Dick. And the idea is the vulgar American coming over to the high class aristocracy of England and... That's a little bit of a little Lord Fauntleroy, and it's a popular thing. You have this idea of this kid dressed in high society, but he's found in a place where you just you dump a derelict.
2: Right. Yeah, so I guess in hindsight, it's almost as if they were poking a little fun at this boy.:
0: To me, when I first heard the story, I thought that it was a little like it was a little mocking, right? Uh, or a little cavalier for the tragedy and seriousness of a dead child
2: right and really after that there was not much else to be written about this strange dead boy that was in waukesha as as they did a little more further investigation they weren't quite sure how long he had been in this pond they estimated between a week and six months
0: well and you think he's found in march Right? So if he's March found in,
2: 8th is when he was found.
0: Yeah, so he's found in March. So the water could have been cold, maybe frozen for a while.
2: Maybe preserved him a little bit.
0: Preserved him a little bit better than if he's found in August.
2: Right? yeah, That's true. And really, besides suggesting that he came for money based on the attire, police were at a loss for who this kid was. This is where the story gets interesting, trying to figure out who little Lord Faulkner I was. So in an attempt to gather some information, the police put him on display at a local funeral home. Now that building still exists to this day. It used to be a funeral home and a crematorium, but now I believe it is a law office and a hair salon. Every time I pass it on the Waukesha tour, I point out this is where the boy was when it was the funeral home.
1: Sounds like a place ripe for ghost hunting. I wonder if the lawyers in the office realize what the origins of the building were.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, with typical funeral homes, occasionally there can be a spirit that still hangs out after many years.
0: Well, and if the lawyers won't talk about it, you know the girls at the hair salon will. Oh. Every every time I get my hair done <laughs> and they ask what I do and I go in, they're like, well, let me tell you about what happened to me. And I'm like, excellent. What is
1: it with hairdressers and ghost stories? Because whenever I say, oh, yeah, I'm doing something in paranormal, they always have an anecdote for me. They must just be (laughs) a little more plugged in.
2: That's funny you say that. I just went to a a new hairdresser, and my wife's been going to him for years. And when he found out I was into this stuff, he's like, oh, yeah, I know this gay witch that lives in Milwaukee. You really got to meet him. He's the most interesting character. And every time I go get my hair cut now, we talk about the gay witch in Milwaukee. (laughs) Self-proclaimed gay
1: witch. I didn't give them that title. Sounds good.
0: I (laughs) want to meet the gay witch in Milwaukee. We'll have to bring him on for his own Wisconsin legend.
1: Sounds like Allison and T need to hook up with him for the Milwaukee tour. I agree.
0: I agree.
2: That could be interesting.
1: So as this
2: little Lord Faultneroy is displayed in the funeral home window, the public is invited to come on in and do you know who this kid is, right? And while many people came to see him, no one could offer up any more information. The case goes cold for quite some time until a quarry worker comes up with some more information. Now, he gave the police their very first lead on who the identity of Fauntleroy might be. And he had said a couple weeks prior, he had witnessed a young woman in a red sweater wandering aimlessly throughout the pond. As he approached this woman, exactly what are you doing here? She anxiously inquired about whether he had seen a little boy in the neighborhood. Now, this quarry worker added that the woman in red then joined a male companion, and they drove away in their car.
0: That seems to be a really good tip right there. You got a woman looking for a boy. There's another guy there. She's anxious about it. He says we didn't see anybody, and they get in the car.
1: Right. Do we know in the timeline from when the boy's body was discovered that this other quarry worker... Came about with this story. So now,
2: he stated this was about five weeks before the corpse was found.
1: And when did he come forward with the information after?
2: So, from my notes, it looks like it isn't quite noted when this quarry worker came forward with the information. It could have been a couple weeks. It could have been a month after. The couple was never located by police. I'm sure it would have been close to impossible to find a woman in a red sweater, right? But the authorities did receive a tip that the same exact woman had died by suicide in the same pond where Faulkner Roy had been found. Mm. So what they did was they set off dynamite in the water in hopes that the explosion would bring another corpse to the surface. But despite their efforts, they didn't find any more bodies in that pond.
0: (laughs) I love that That was their solution to it. So it's like, here's what we could do. We could dredge the pond. We could look around. Instead, we're just going to Blow something up.
1: Right, and hope a body comes up hope unharmed. A body <laughs> hops out. Well, it's a quarry, so they're stocked with dynamite. So right. it seems like the logical solution, yeah. right?
0: no, but that's just great. They're like, well, you know, we could. They used to have mystical means of doing that. There was a guy on the St. Croix River in Minnesota near Stillwater who they would call Fisherman John. And his specialty was finding bodies in the St. Croix River because so many people, their relatives were lumberjacks or their sons or their husbands were and people would just disappear without a trace. They would do things like put mercury quicksilver. They'd put that in bread and put it in the water and see if it would pop up in a certain area. And that was supposed to show where the dead body was. And Fisherman John, like he had a business card that he was the finder of lost bodies.
2: They should have called him out to Waukesha instead I, of using dynamite. <laughs>
0: right. I think he was just dead by that point because I think he died in the early 1900s. Sure. And I'm okay. sure he okay. had somebody in his family that could have been like, I got some bread. Yeah, yeah. Let's it's... break open a thermometer and see if we can find a <laughs>
2: <laughs> the detectives their only theory as to what this couple was doing there is that they sent their little faultneroy boy off to play while they made love in the car and that he had tragically fallen into the pond and drowned. They quickly dismissed this theory when the coroner's examination revealed that the body had a deep cut on the head which indicated Fauntleroy had been beaten, slashed, whatever, on the head with a blunt object before, presuming, thrown into the pond. They also revealed that he had very little water in his lungs, which means he was most likely dead before he was thrown into the
0: quarry. I like how their first, their, their first theory is that, oh yeah, well, you know what happened the couple was doing it and then they just sent the boy off and he fell in right yeah just like,
2: go wander off by the quarry there yeah Balderoy. and
0: anybody who grew up in Waukesha knows that you're supposed to go to the missile silo if you want to make out
2: guilty yes <laughs> uh, guilty in high school <laughs> it was the creepy place to go in Waukesha and you know but right they're, they're making that into a very nice outdoor space now
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's
2: going to be a cool place to go. And then you go down to Raise Grain, it's going to be a very
0: nice area. So. All right, well, um, I hope they keep the parking lot.
2: The police then, they decided to post a picture of the boy in every single newspaper in the Midwest, and three men offered a financial reward of $250, a large sum of money at the time, for any information on the identity of this unknown boy and or his killers. Nothing came out of that. They then raised the reward to $1,000, and still there was... Nothing on who Faulkneroy might be or who killed him. It seemed the case would close until the owner of a local department store in Waukesha insisted to police that he had sold the clothes that were on little Lord Faulkneroy when he was found dead in the pond. And he says he sold his clothes in January. So now you can kind of narrow down that timeline of, I think they said a week up to six months down to maybe three or so months sure but there was no way to determine who actually bought the clothing there were no receipts i mean if there's no police reports back then there's probably not good receipt keeping
0: well, and david dobrik the place that he owned was called liberty department store and that sounds like a waukesha department Store. Oh, like waukesha, they would name it.
2: so many department stores back then
0: <laughs> right and uh liberty i mean it's right after world war one and i think somebody today would probably still name their Waukesha department store, liberty or freedom or like pull my guns out of my cold dead hands kind <laughs> of thing. You
2: yeah, know, I did a, a tour of Waukesha during the preservation days and there was a woman, probably she was close to 80 in a nice old Victorian era dress and she pointed out every single dry goods store and department store that she went to as a kid. And he just had no idea that there was that much business in downtown Waukesha uh, as late as the 70s. And then Waukesha kind of went through a, a downtime in the 90s, but now it's rejuvenating again. It's, it's becoming what, it, a fun place to go to again. It's a
0: really fun place to go to when you guys go on the Waukesha Ghost Walk. <laughs> That's what makes <laughs> right? it really happening special. this summer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the Beatles Bar, Let It Be, will be open then. It's going to be a really fun time.
0: Good, good. Well, let's hope they don't find any more dead kids.
2: Another break then surfaced a few months later when a witness claimed to be able to identify the unknown boy. A Chicago man named J.B. Bilson stated the child was his nephew and the son of his sister. This man explained that his sister's ex-husband had kidnapped their two children and even threatened to kill them on several occasions. Seemed like a promising lead, but then the police investigated the claims and they verified that the children were actually alive and well, thus the killer of Little Lord Faultonroy and his identity back to a cold case.
0: And you'd be surprised when you talk about, like, family members kidnapping kids and then taking them out of state and what the law could do about that. That happened to my own family in Milwaukee in the nineteen. 19- 50s one of my uncles ran off with some waitress or something like that to florida with his daughter Mm -hmm. and left his wife and the other kids behind and they were just there was just nothing they could do about it right so you know people seeing that and then this jb belson guy and he says man this guy's horrible to my sister he's threatened them all these kind of things i bet it was him Who killed them And then you just Feel for that family Like no matter That G.E. Hormage's kids Were found alive That's great Their family still needs To go to counseling Or something You know It's still a tragedy
2: Yeah It's it's such a different time You know We really can't relate Or fathom How different police work And family lives Were back then
0: There's no child Protective services No There's some social Welfare stuff But not Not like today There's no number To call when you see Somebody beat a kid
2: Right Yeah It was good discipline Back then I suppose Right after this, what seemed like a promising lead, they announced that the remains of Little Lord Faultneroy would be transported to the Weber Funeral Home to be properly prepared for a burial. And there was a local woman in Waukesha named Minnie Conrad who spearheaded a fundraiser to help with the funeral costs. So on March 14th, 1921, but well, that would have been not that long after the boy was found. No, so. not even a week. So Jeff, we can go back to your, your question of when did this quarry worker come about saying I saw the woman in the red shirt? It was probably a few days after they put him into the funeral home's front window.
0: Yeah, in the first week right there. Right.
2: So they, they buried him on March 14th and a small white casket was gently lowered into the ground at Prairie Home Cemetery. Now, an unknown person had scrawled Our Darling on the lid of the casket and Minnie Conrad placed a bouquet on the boy's grave every year until she died. I did find a newspaper article talking more about Mrs. Conrad. She recalls the day that she found out they found a dead child in the quarry. And she says that someone came into the store I was working at and said that they found a little boy who had been murdered in the quarry. And she went to look at the little boy and her heart filled with pity. I thought my own little grandsons could have been this boy. And I felt sorry that he would have to be buried in a public cemetery. So that's when she raised the money. I think she said it was $170 for the outfit and uh, the casket, and that's when they buried him in Prairie Home Cemetery. Every year on March 8th, Mrs. Conrad had a pilgrimage where she would go up to the gravestone and put flowers on there to pay honor to little Lord Faulkneroy. Now, her last pilgrimage was in 1940, and she recalls it was a very snowy and cold day, but she made the journey to visit this unknown boy. And that same day, she repeated her hopes for the future. If I can only live long enough to hear the murderer of that boy confess and get what's coming to him, I have a feeling that someday he will come to my door and tell me why he did it. Unfortunately, that never happened. She passed away and she was buried right next to the unknown boy.
0: Beautiful story. It's nice to see someone with so much heart for someone that she had no idea who even was. We probably wouldn't know the story Without Minnie Conrad keeping the memory alive, right? And then going to visit every like people do for Jim Morrison's grave, or remember the the mystery person that leaves the didn't they leave a bottle on Edgar Allan Poe's grave in Baltimore every year? Sure, leave the guy like a like a bottle of alcohol, like alcohol didn't destroy his life. And then there was a mystery woman in black in Los Angeles, and we talk about this in our Hollywood tour or an LA bus tour. We go to Hollywood Forever Cemetery that she used to leave a bouquet of flowers. By Arrudo uh, Valentino's grave every year on the anniversary of his death. Sure. Really, it's sad that this happened. It's cool that she kept the memory alive, and it's cool that she had the effort, like, let's give this child a proper burial. Let's give him the respect that he didn't get in life.
2: And it is quite the little gravestone to go visit. You know, Once I heard about this story, I was like, I got to go up to Prairie Home and add this to kind of my rotation of graves that I go to involved with stories on the tour. Recently, I went to visit the the grave of little Lord Roy, and to this day, there's still coins, little trucks, toys, because people do go there and still visit him, because it's one of the famous stories of Waukesha. So really, this story goes cold for about 20 years, and you've got Mrs. Conrad visiting him, and there seems to be a strange epilogue that occurred in 1949. That is when a medical examiner from Milwaukee hypothesized that the unknown boy could actually have been a child named Homer LeMay, who disappeared around the same time that little Lord Faulkneroy had been found in the Quarry Pond. Now, Homer's father, Edmund, was questioned after his son's continued absence, but Edmund stated that Homer had been adopted by a Chicago couple in 1921. LeMay claimed that they had taken the boy to Argentina, of all places, right? And later sent a clipping to him that alleged the boy was killed in an automobile accident. Now, if it's believable enough that a Chicago couple adopted your kid, then they went to Argentina, and then they said, hey, actually, he died in a car accident. That's a few red flags going off, right? Yeah,
0: and here's the newspaper. Don't bother coming to the funeral, they could have sent him a telegraph, they could have called him at that point, right?
2: Something, anything, that your son is now dead in Argentina, right? It just gets a bit bizarre. And the Milwaukee police investigated this. They actually sent a detective to Argentina, but found no proof to validate that these claims, including a newspaper article, nothing was found that could say Homer LeMay died in Argentina. But what's even weirder than that is that Edmund LeMay, His wife went missing, uh, and he says she ran off and that there was no foul play suspected. And they actually ended up searching the same quarry where the body of little Lord Fauntleroy was found. But again, they, they found no more bodies in that pond. So it's just bizarre that this Edmund character, his son goes missing, and then his wife goes missing. Perhaps he has a history
1: of getting rid of people he doesn't want around in his life anymore. Yeah. And to play devil's advocate for Edmund, his wife, maybe he wasn't a straight shooter, and maybe his wife did up and leave him, Mm -hmm. but it is highly suspect that both his wife and his son went missing in succession. Right.
0: Well, I mean, if just like devil's advocate here, I don't know Edmund or whatever, and I'm not, uh, you know, the, the prosecutor, but what do you do in 1921 as a single father if your wife up and leaves, takes off, and you don't know what to do with your kid. Maybe he didn't know how to take care of a kid. Maybe he didn't have enough family himself. And so he says, well, I want to give this boy a mother and a father. And so he, the kid gets adopted by a Chicago couple. But there's got to be some kind of, you figure there'd be some kind of records. Now, this right. is 20, 28, 29 years later. So this is happening in 1949. And the original case happened. They find the body in 1921. So say this is in 1920. So it's almost 30 years later, and you would think that they'd be able to find some adoption records at, like, a church or something. Right. And, and But the cops come up empty-handed. They said they got to Argentina. Imagine getting that assignment. Hey, Jones, you're going to Argentina. Find a newspaper. Uh, bring some good cigars back, too, right? Right. You hope that the guy spoke Spanish.
2: I will say, in maybe accusing Edmund a bit more, when...
0: Oh, yeah, let's fry him.
2: Yeah, well, when Roy was being displayed in the funeral home they actually took a few photos of him which don't really seem to exist anymore and when they reopened this case in 1949 they compared the photo of homer lemay and little lord faultonroy and they showed them to people who were around during that time and they said that's the same exact kid got eyewitnesses that have seen the body have seen the photos which jeff does have and they basically said that's the kid but there was no evidence that they could prosecute Edmund
0: with right you still have to have a case against them and this everything's still circumstantial until you have that
2: yeah and they even wanted to exhume the body to see if this was the same child however the the sheriff and the coroner decided not to do that and to ultimately let little Lord Fulton rest in peace he is still there to this day simple little tombstone unknown boy found in O'Loughlin Quarry Waukesha Wisconsin March 8th 1921
0: you know and you can see that the pictures that they put in the newspaper of him they're very 1920s the things he's wearing striped rompers
2: black stockings
0: yeah black rubbers for his boots the white cloth top button shoes dark gray sweater and it's just a very it's just a very sad sad story uh, right. that they put in there
2: comparing the the photos of well at least the drawing of Little Lord Faulkneroy and the photo of Homer LeMay, the one thing that I can point out that's different is, and I'm not sure how black and white photos exactly work with blonde hair, but they said that Little Lord Faulkneroy had blonde curly hair, and Homer LeMay clearly has darker straight hair. Could that have been something with the water? You know, this body was in the pond for quite some time. Did it affect his hair in some way? But, you know, if you look at the drawing and the photo, it certainly could have been Homer LeMay.
0: Right, right. Edmund LeMay ended up living until 1981 in the Milwaukee area, and he like he had another family, right? He, he a,
2: got remarried, I think, a few times. Uh, he had a whole new family. If you're trying to convict somebody of this, you could maybe presume that Edmunds got rid of his wife, got rid of his son, and started all over again.
0: What that means, though, is if they uh, exhumed little Lord Fauntleroy's body now... They could do a DNA check.
2: You could certainly do a DNA check because the LeMay family still has people living to this day, distant relatives,
0: perhaps. Right. And whether they want their dad or their grandfather, whatever, he put through the ringer or that. But I would think even H.H. Holmes, great, great grandson or whatever, he wanted to know, like he had the body exhumed for the TV show. Right. And so you think somebody would come up with enough money and be like, hey, do the test. There's even a change.org petition that people can sign to demand exhuming the body. Not that the Waukesha Sheriff or whatever, the police department's going to be like, okay. But they, with enough people are interested, they might be eventually able to hopefully settle something or at least find some relatives. Because if they find some relatives of this kid, well, then you might be able to have an idea who the who it was. And then finally, after 100 years, we can put a name to this tragic case.
2: Right. And it's... On the outside, we're interested in this story because it's very different, right? It's very tragic, and we certainly want to find out who Faulkner was and maybe who did this to him. But then if you dig that body up and you find somebody who doesn't want to relive these memories or doesn't want to know that this was my relative, then you're kind of messing with history, right? Yeah. And it's, it's a very fine line that...
1: You want to leave the dead, rest in peace, but also you feel like there might be some closure just for if you believe in a soul or spirit that this at least there was some justice historically right to identifying this unknown boy and giving him a more prominent burial so i think i could see how it'd be controversial but i think ultimately it'd probably be the right move
2: wouldn't it be nice to put a name to that instead of just being on your tombstone unknown boy yeah we can certainly we have the means today to find out who he was i'm sure that would put his soul to rest
0: Somebody else that was trying to put his soul to rest a few years ago was a psychic by the name of Marie St. Clair. And she did what she calls a psychic investigation into the little Lord Fauntleroy case. And that's a remote viewing thing where she tries to get into the head of the murder victim and kind of see what happened. And she kind of wrote down a lot of the stuff that she saw. And she writes it in first person. Let me read you an little example. I'm in a house in a fancy parlor with lots of expensive furniture and a huge fireplace. The walls are pale. A wild navy-colored carpet with a red, blue, and yellow leaf or floral pattern covers the floor. Overall, the vision is somewhat blurry. Now I'm walking down a long hall. The same carpet covers the floor, and there's an ornate stairway at the end of which faces away from me. I must be at the back of the house. I see a slim man in a dark suit, neatly dressed, with short hair. He has an immaculate appearance. His face is long and his eyes are dark. He looks young and then he looks old. He's at a desk before a typewriter or other machine. Maybe it's a sewing machine. I can't make it out too well. The scene shifts. I see this man in a bathroom with an old style sink and tub. Then the view of a long hall again. And then she kind of goes into the different things. It's a grand home. It's got a big stairway. There's a parlor. She sees the man above her. The wall is covered with trophies. She thinks they indicate success, that maybe he's rich, he's into politics, or maybe he's a businessman. And then she kind of just grows to this psychic vision. She gets to the point where they enter a woods. And I return to the woods where the man stands on the hill. He throws the body over the side. I briefly get a flash of another man, burly, overweight, with long, wavy, reddish hair. A mustache. He's about 40. I don't know who he is or what his part in this is. Perhaps he witnessed this event and never told anyone. I see the boy's dead body lying in a rocky cove or cavern-like area on a thick bed of leaves. More leaves are all around him. I'm guessing that the water washes his body out from his resting place during the spring as he was found in March. Well, that doesn't work, really, because how would water from the quarry reach some kind of forested area? It's in a limestone quarry. If they left him in the forest, it wouldn't just kind of wash in there and wash away a body.
2: Well, I mean it is a forested area and specifically back then there would have been many more trees. Perhaps the quarry wasn't that deep at that time. So okay. maybe maybe,
0: he le- maybe. Maybe okay, so maybe psychic Marie Claire she's onto something here. Right. Well, and then she's I'm sure the man who lived in the big house killed him. I think the boy is his child and he's unwanted. I'm back at the mansion. I drift to another scene and an old woman the one I saw in a wheelchair earlier sits and cries. I see the boy and he's in a simple house. Then he's sitting outside near the Tower of the Brick Mansion. He cries alone, and no one comes to his aid. Basically, she says that she sees Edmund LeMay in her tall, thin man in a dark suit. is who she focuses on. She has a picture of Edmund LeMay in there. So basically, psychic Marie Claire, according to her investigation and her remote viewing, she blames the dad.
2: Now, do we know, was the LeMay family from money? From my research, they were very... Basic at the time, you know, it was a very simple family. They weren't from money. The trophy thing, I don't think really checked out. Maybe if her psychic reading is on to something, it could be somebody entirely different.
0: Right. And then Edmund LeMay is just another tall, thin man, you know, because the tall, thin men always get blamed for this kind of stuff, um, especially in Waukesha.
2: It's a whole nother tall, thin man that got blamed <laughs> for something else. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: Let's say it was Edmund LeMay that kills his kid or anybody that it wasn't some kind of murder that was not like we think of murders today. We think of somebody killing a kid today. We think of like the guy that abducted Adam Walsh, kidnapped him and and abused him and killed him. Mm -hmm. You you think of someone that's got a van with no windows saying, hey, kids, I got some candy. Come on in here and, and kills him. So we think of these kind of psychos as murderers. That's not really... Who Kills Kids? Oh. This is Dr. Philip J. Resnick, and he did a lot of the studies and work on child murder back in the late 60s, and he's still working on it. And this is from his filicide in the United States in the Indian Journal of Psychiatry in 2016. So filicide means killing your children. The United States has the highest rate of child murder among developed nations. The most common perpetrator of child homicide is a parent. In infancy, the U.S. rate of homicide is 8 for every 100,000 several times higher than Canada at 2.9 per 100,000. About 2.5 of homicide arrests in the United States are for parents who have killed their children. 2.5%, two and a half out of 100 homicide arrests are for parents that kill their children. This amounts to about 500 a year. The rates of child homicide decrease with the child's age. So the younger the kid, the more likely they'll be the kid by their parents. So he goes back in his initial study, and this is from Child Murder and Mental Illness in Parents, Implications for Psychiatrists by Dr. Resnick and Hatters Friedman, M.D. And this is in the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry. Parents kill their children for five major reasons. Fatal maltreatment, altruistic, they're acutely psychotic, it's an unwanted child, or spousal revenge. Fatal maltreatment deaths occurs at the end result of child abuse, neglect, or factitious disorder by proxy. That's Munchausen, like the sixth sense. Remember the mom and the sixth sense was Mm -hmm. poisoning the kid? So it's Munchausen by proxy or it's when people beat their kids and neglect. So that's when they die because the parents are jerks. And, I mean, I guess if you kill your kid, you're a jerk no matter what. In altruistic cases, the parents kill out of love, believing that death is in their child's best interest. That can occur in psychosis or depression or when a child is terminally ill, like they're going to die anyway or they have some kind of cancer.
2: Well, so could on a theory there, if this was from a not-so-well-to-do family— And they thought that the child was supposed to die or had cancer and this is how you're going to go. Could they have dressed him up in a very fancy outfit, killed him and thrown him in the pond as like a burial ritual?
0: Well, when we talk about the amount of homicides that happen of children, it's not the guy in the van. Mm -hmm. The vast majority are the parents. There's parents who acutely psychotic kill their child for no rational reason that's when somebody's having let's say they're schizophrenic and they start hearing voices that satan's in the kids that i mean that's happened remember andrea yates in early 2000s or late 90s i can't remember but when she killed all her kids like five kids and her husband came home and saw it that was she had a psychotic break and that's something where you know that's guilty by reason of insanity Versus unwanted children may be killed because they are seen as a hindrance to the parents' own goals. That's something like, oh, we we can't afford to feed you. Or this kid's really getting in the way of my career kind of thing. And then there's the J.B. Hodgson or whatever thing we were talking about with that woman in Chicago and that family, when her brother came forward to the police and said that it was, you know, her no good husband that took the kids and, and killed them. Uh, spouse revenge. One parent kills the child in order to severely emotionally wound the parent. These are all terrifying things. 90% of filicide perpetrators are biological parents. 10% are step parents. Step parents are far more likely to kill children than biological parents. In the child maltreatment homicides with abuse, neglect, fatal child abuse in step parents is 100 times higher. Hmm. Um, than in biological parents. The strongest predictive factors of maternal child homicide, so if they were killed by their mother, if the child was killed. So let's say little Lori Fauntleroy was, was killed by his mother. are maternal age of 19 years or less. Education of 12 years or less, so they didn't finish high school. Single marital status, no husband. And late or absent prenatal care. They didn't do anything to take care of themselves or the baby when... They were pregnant. Men, as opposed to women who kill their children, are more likely to kill older children, are more likely to be unemployed, are more likely to be facing separation, spousal revenge, and are more likely to abuse alcohol or drugs. The kids 16 to 18, fathers commit those murders 80% of the time. Fathers are more likely to kill when there's doubt about paternity and when the child is viewed as an impediment to their career. Thanks, dad. (laughs) So fathers are more likely to kill when there's doubt about paternity. That's the kind of thing you find out your six-year-old was a, it's not your kid. And so you freak out or that, you know, when you think about different kinds of motives that people could have to do such a horrible crime as a blunt force trauma on a six-year-old boy. Paramours rarely kill their own children. Let's say you married into a mixed family and there's your stepfather as well as a, like there's another kid in there. They more often kill the sons of their predecessors. So, you're much more likely to kill the kid of the ex husband than your own. That being said, what did the quarry worker say that the woman was? coming in and she was desperate and looking for a child and they figured that she would have killed herself too or maybe she was killed as well so that was their first idea mm-hmm. that oh they killed the child and then she killed herself for her let's dynamite the quarry <laughs> to find the body blur out of the water filicide suicide common factors in parents who kill the children themselves this is again susan hatter's friedman philip j resnick Deborah Hroida, Carol Holden, and Stephen Knofzinger. These are all well educated people who have butchered their names. But this is in the Journal of the American Academy of Psychiatry and the Law, January two thousand five. Resnick reported a relief of tension after altruistic and acutely uh, psychotic filicides. The expulsion of energy after the child's death explains why some parents who had intended filicide suicide to kill their kid and themselves then didn't complete the act. Conversely, other parents, quote, upon realization of the gravity of their act, may attempt suicide even when it was not planned, unquote. In the reported literature, a large proportion of filicides are, have suicides with them. 16 to 29% of mothers and 40 to 60% of fathers who commit killing their children also kill themselves. Fathers, higher rates of filicide suicide are possibly related to the higher male suicide rate in general. In children under five years of age, over 60% are killed by their parents. Meanwhile, the murder rate for U.S. children under five years age is more than twice the rate of our Canadian neighbors' children of that age. I just thought it was interesting that so many of, you know, they went into immediately looking for that the mother committed suicide if the child did too. And that seems to be the the evidence and the data also supports that. Uh, Going a little bit later on the article, uh, women who commit infanticide and then attempt to take their own lives are also more likely to kill more children. So if they plan to go out, they plan for everybody to go out. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you're wondering... Like why we talk about the different reasons that you would kill a child and you say there's the psychotic, which is what that's the only one we can assume, right? That's the one we always assume. Like you gotta be crazy. If you're going to do that, why would you ever do that? Well, that's a very modern interpretation. And, and so the altruistic thing we'd say only, you know, maybe somebody would consider it not. I hate to even say this as a parent, somewhat moral, some kind of euthanasia as morally acceptable if your child has some kind of disease, then they would just be miserable, and so you got to put them out of their misery. But there were plenty of civilizations and parents throughout history that didn't think it was a negative thing to nope. kill your children. And, in fact, it might have been an honor. What if it's part of your religion? Child sacrifice in the Western world. This is an article to 2004 written by David Medema in the Journal of Critical Thinking and Bioethics. In order to understand the nature of ancient practices, one must understand the mindset of tribes that participated in acts like child sacrifice. As many people know, several South American cultures held ritual games to determine who would be sacrificed. What many do not know is that, in at least half of the cultures, it was winners of the games who won the right to be sacrificed. In short, these people viewed it as an honor to become a sacrifice. Furthermore, it was a great privilege to give up one's children for this cause. In some South American cultures, the sacrifices were annual, whereas the details in certain Middle Eastern cultures varied. Some gods, such as Moloch, required child sacrifice on a frequent, almost daily basis, while others, such as Baal, required this annually. This was the people's worship to their gods, and they expected to be rewarded. The cultures were convinced that by sacrificing their children, quote, their lives would be better, unquote. And when we talk about an area that's right by Waukesha, we have the ancient town of Aztlan. And this is right about 30 miles. So it's outside of Waukesha County. It's in Jefferson County. And basically, if you're taking I-94 out of Waukesha towards Madison, 25 minutes later, or maybe 20 minutes if you're going 75.
1: Not to be confused with the motocross track right on the highway there that's also called Aztlan. It's a state park. It's pushed back a little ways there, and it has uh, several step pyramids and several burial mounds there, and it's it's an amazing place to visit. But Mike can tell us a, a little about the human sacrifice that happened there.
0: Well, it's not like they're doing like the motorcycle races over the mounds. No. <laughs> Hopefully, we're a little more respectful than that. So this is from the online collection from the Milwaukee Public Museum. Land was first discovered by Europeans in the fall of 1835 by Wisconsin Territory settler Timothy Johnson. And upon hearing of the stories, Judge Nathaniel Heyer, who is a Milwaukee settler, visited. It was Judge Heyer who first gave Aztlan its name. The name Aztlan comes from the mistaken idea, prevalent in the early 19th century, that the site may have been the northern place of origin of the Aztecs of Mexico, as mentioned in their legends and oral traditions. Judge Heyer related Aztelan to the Aztecs based on the resemblance he saw between its mounds and the Aztec pyramids. So the first scientific and systematic excavations of any archaeological site in the state of Wisconsin were conducted at Aztelan in 1919 by Samuel Barrett and the Milwaukee Public Museum. Barrett conjectured that cannibalism was a major part of the Mississippian diet at Aztelan. Mississippian is the culture of the mound builders they came from. And they had a gigantic city called Cahokia, near St. Louis, that they think Cahokia was about 1,400 years ago when it was big, but they think at its biggest was up to 40,000 people. So a huge, huge city of this Mississippian culture, these mound builders. And she said, The cannibalism was a major part of their diet based on the numerous butchered, broken, and burned human bones in refuse areas, fire pits, and the nature knoll area of the site in the southeast corner of the enclosure warfare and cannibalism are among the most heavily debated topics of archaeological research and interpretation and they're also a great interest to people who like Astellan. Since Barrett's initial excavations, it has been suggested that warfare and cannibalism were important organizing factors in Mississippian societies as a whole. If they do represent cannibalism, several ethnographic analogies suggest it is possible that members of the society or war captives were consumed as part of ritualistic sacrifices. This is 30 miles away from where they found little Lord Fauntleroy. One of astolan's most famous and intriguing discoveries was the burial of a young woman known as
1: the Princess of Astalan.
0: This is the largest burial mound there. It's a large, conical burial mound measured about 50 feet in diameter, standing like 6 feet above the ground when it was constructed. This burial was one of the most unusual ones because it contained the remains of a female in her early 20s adorned with 1,978 perforated, discoidal local clamshells and a few imported gulf coast marine shells. So from Mississippi, the princess was placed on her back in a fully extended position nearly 10 feet from the surface of the mountain. This Aztelan individual was dubbed the princess by Samuel A. Barrett because he reasoned that her status... As exhibited in this elaborate and distinct burial, was likely inherited, but her actual status is unknown, of course, because we don't know anything about him. Now, he thought it could be because she's from an elite family or she was part of a chiefly lineage. That's the idea. So we have the princess who was found in Cahokia, little Lord Fauntleroy dressed up. You know, mm-hmm. so she's dressed up to the nines, and the only burial there, the only one they found. North of Cahokia that had that kind of ornamentation on her. And she wasn't necessarily a human sacrifice or anything. I don't even know if the Mississippian culture really did human sacrifices. That's above my pay grade. But I just think it was an interesting connection that you found famously in Wisconsin when you have two unknown bodies dressed up to the nines in their burial, unidentified they both end up being pretty close to each other, if not, you know, centuries apart. Right. Okay. So child sacrifice to us sounds disgusting, right? Sounds horrible. We're, just, we're shocked by it. When we talked about the Aztec culture, like that they mistakenly thought that Aztlán was part of the Aztecs, the Aztecs and the Incas, we talk about human sacrifice and child sacrifice. They found a location in Peru where they thought they had 194 kids sacrificed at once. a burial It's just insane. It's shocking. It was shocking to the Spanish explorers. That's part of the rationale that the Spanish conquistadors used to destroy those civilizations. Why would someone in modern times, or at least what we think of more modern times, maybe a hundred years ago, why would they think that child sacrifice would be acceptable? Well, we're going back to everybody's favorite book of the Bible. You think about... Christianity, early 20th century, people look a lot more religious than they are now. Well, the story of Abraham, right, who's the founder of the religion. They call Judaism, Christianity and Islam the Abrahamic religions because he's the patriarch, the the guy that started it. Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So he's already lying to his servants. He's like, no, no, no. This is setting up kind of a hit. God tells him he's got to kill his son. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself, he carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his dad, or his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Mm. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb, my son, and the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built the altar, arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And then because Abraham was willing to sacrifice his child, when God commanded. He feared God so much that here's what the the angel says. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Well, right there in the Bible, We're not talking about some ancient text or the Phoenicians, or we're talking about the regular Bible that we all learned in Sunday school. God commands you to kill your kid to be blessed. Right. Why would then somebody who's a little off or who's crazy think that—you hate to say crazy because that's not a scientific term— but somebody who is delusional might think they're doing an altruistic thing for their child— by sacrificing them. This is coming in from Keith Reyes, the Department of Sociology and Anthropology. This is his dissertation from the University of Texas at El Paso. Fill aside as Child Sacrifice in the Judeo Christian World View of the United States. Philicide is deemed by American society as one of the most incomprehensible, merciless acts imaginable. Despite its reprehensible nature over the past 25 years, philicide involving children less than five years of age in the United States has accounted for 61% of all children's deaths. And that is a statistic as of 2005. Contemporary maternal filicide has generally been one of two ways. The perpetrating mother is either mad or bad. The mad mother generally performs filicide as a result of pre-existing mental illness, usually brought on by postpartum depression. And the bad mother performs it as a result of being labeled a cold, evil mother who refuses to conform to Western societal standards of mothering. Mothers viewed as mentally ill generally conform to Western societal roles. They serve their homes in expressive roles, emotionally nursing their children, and subserviently substantiating their husband's role as the authority in the home in line with the Judeo-Christian tradition. Okay, subservient wives. Forget that one in my house. <laughs> but, but quite often the mothers in these relationships experience a lack of social support and have minimum social networking outside of their immediate family. These mothers are generally older, married. They don't resent their role. And so this idea that present research neglects the religious institution's ability to create a worldview which orients the action and normative behavior of society's members, and this paper, this guy's dissertation, was research providing a framework that the Judeo-Christian religion can create a worldview which simultaneously condemns and legitimates filicide. It doesn't have to be a senseless random act of violence. Rather, it's a consequence of the worldview which defines the sacrificial offering of one's most valued possessions to God as the quintessential act of worship. Okay, that was very dissertation language Mm -hmm. there, but... By using the studies and things, you're saying that if we think of these murders or child sacrifices so disgusting and shocking, and sometimes people can think they're doing the right thing, and they don't have to be some kind of, if we say, some kind of primitive religion, some kind of part of some kind of cult that we cannot understand. People can warp their views. They can use the story of Abraham and everything to warp their view and think they're doing something good, even... If they're raised in the religion, most Americans end up being raised in. Mm-hmm. And we talk about little Lord Fauntleroy and the, and the possible things that could have happened. Was he an unwanted child? He's not neglected because they dressed him up. Is it spousal? It could be spousal revenge. I mean, that's something. Get back at the mom. But why didn't the mom ever come to the police unless she was killed and disappeared too? Right. That's Edmund LeMay mm-hmm. right there. Oh, my wife disappeared and my kid died in Argentina. Bye. So, not neglected. Edmund LeMay is spousal revenge. The other options, I mean, a crazy person dressed their kid up, acutely psychotic, absolutely is a possibility. But altruistic, which we think of as no way, no way could these things be, could a child sacrifice, someone justify it in their mind? I I think they could. I think they could.
2: I think with everything you've just presented, yeah, it seems like somebody could in some way think... This is good that I'm doing.
0: That's just a little bit talking about what could the motives be of the the murder of the poor, tragic story of the little boy who was found in the Waukesha quarry over 100 years ago. Josh, if people want to learn more about your research and tours and the things that you're interested in, where can they find you?
2: Uh, AmericanGhostWalks.com. You can find the Waukesha page active on Instagram and Facebook, Waukesha Ghosts. We do a bit more posting in the summer months, but, you know, there's always a lot of interesting things to find out. And there's some stories I don't talk about on the tour, and there's some more information and photos on social where you can discover some more stuff for yourself.
1: Yeah, and if you have an idea for a Waukesha ghost story, reach out to Josh. Yeah. He'd love to research it and maybe add it to his tour.
2: If you have a haunted house, you know where to find me.
0: Right. Who are you going to call? josh <laughs> <laughs> and uh once that josh gets the story i know he'll pass it on to jeff and you can find jeff and he can share that story statewide at
1: badgerland legends on instagram and facebook badgerlandlegends.com
0: fantastic and you can find american ghost walks in seven different states plus puerto rico all over wisconsin and wisconsin legends and thank you very much for joining us on this episode the tragic episode the story of a little lord fauntleroy on Wisconsin Legends Podcast.
1: On March 8th, 2023, Josh and I made a pilgrimage to Prairie Home Cemetery in Waukesha, exactly 102 years after the discovery of his body. We intended to continue that tradition that Minnie Conrad started all those years ago. We visited the grave of the unknown boy and placed flowers on that grave. We tried to make contact with him to see if he'd come through to reveal his identity.
2: I know it's been some time since Minnie Conran has visited you, but she was the one that paid for your grave and your suit and everything. If there's any sort of information you wanna give us, your name, your family, your parents, anything so we can help identify you, that would be great. We're gonna walk over to Minnie Conrad's grave and we'll leave this here just in case you're shy.
1: Although it was unclear whether we made contact with the young boy, we intend to keep the tradition alive that Minnie Conrad started all those years ago. We hope the young boy's soul is at rest the Wisconsin Legends Podcast is presented by American Ghost Walks, hosted by Mike Hubertine and Jeff Fennett, recorded at Sunspot Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, edited by Jeff Finn. audio engineer Mike Hubertine, music by Sunspot and various artists. Find out more about the show, including show notes, at wisconsinlegendspodcast.com. Follow the guys at American Ghost Walks and Badgerland Legends on Instagram and Facebook. We'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoy Wisconsin paranormal experiences and ghost stories and UFO sightings and monster legends and true history and crime stories just as much as Jeff and I do, then you're going to love the 2023 Milwaukee Paracon happening October 13th to 15th in the Brew City. It's three days of paranormal concerts and parties and activities and ghost tours, but the October 14th Saturday conference that features presentations all about Wisconsin paranormal and some of the best vendors with the most unique products you're going to see all year long, That's going to be absolutely free at the Irish Cultural and Heritage Center in downtown Milwaukee on Saturday, October 14th, going from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And we'll be doing a Wisconsin Legends podcast live at the event. We can't wait to see you. We're going to be diving deep into the mysteries of Milwaukee, and we hope you join us. Absolutely free, milwaukeeparacon.com. So come down to 2023 Milwaukee Paranormal Conference, milwaukeeparacon.com, and we'll haunt you there.